from Wall Street to the White House. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. Let's just dive right in. We have my great friend and mentors, former Senator Phil Graham from Texas and uh, uh, American Enterprise Institute visiting scholar. Most importantly, his book, his new book, The Myth of American Inequality, How Government Biases Policy Debate and How Nobody Seems to Want to Work Anymore. There's no work fair in any of these federal programs. We can talk about all that. Senator Graham, welcome. As always, I'm reading your op-ed piece from the Wall Street Journal this past week. The Republican House can restrain spending. Somebody's got to restrain spending. Otherwise, the inflation is going to continue forever and the economy will be awful. So you think they you think they can you think they can do it? If there is will and leadership, um, the major point of the article is as follows: After a disappointing election, this very slim majority in the House is the only century at the gate. Uh, We have a Congress and an administration that are willing to spend any amount of money that they can get approved. And uh, we are uh, in the midst of the buildup of a new inflation, which could easily become an inflation similar to the one that we had in the 1970s that Reagan policies brought to an end. And uh, we've got... uh, a massive growth in spending coming out of the pandemic, even though the pandemic is over, much of that spending still continues, except defense spending, which has fallen in real terms. And then you've got the chips bill, you've got this so-called Inflation Reduction Act that has a massive increase in spending, You've got the infrastructure bill, the largest spending bill on infrastructure in the history of the country and the world, for that matter. All of those things are now spending out. So unless there is a significant retrenchment in spending, it's going to crowd out the ability of the Republican majority in the House to rebuild defense, to make the tax cut permanent, and to bring the inflation to an end. You write in this piece, actual 2022 spending hit 25.1% of GDP. I believe the long-term 50-year baseline there is about 20 or 21% of GDP. So we're, we're running, we're running four or five percentage points of GDP. That's a big number. So that's a jumping off point. So that's adds uh, urgency to this mission. Oh, it does. And if uh, if we continue to spend at that level, uh, we're going to ultimately have to pay for taxes, to pay for ongoing spending, raise taxes, to pay ongoing spending, and the debt is going to continue to build up. And as interest rates normalize, uh, we could easily be spending more to service the debt than we spend on national defense or Social Security. Um, so uh, it's a it's a, an important moment, and in order to stop the spending, Republicans have to pass a spending bill. 
You can't just vote no and stop spending. Because if Republicans can't pass the spending bill, since they're now in the majority and they're charged with governing, not protesting, if they can't pass the spending bill, the government shuts down, they're beaten into submission, and then they pass a spending bill on a bipartisan basis that lets the spending continue. Hmm. So they've got to get 218 votes to set priorities in terms of what spending they're going to reduce, what spending like defense and border security they're going to increase, what policies they're going to impose uh, as um, uh, using the power of the purse to try to rein in some of this uh, uh, regulation um, from the Biden administration that is literally now beginning to choke the economy. Um, and But to do any of this, they have got to forge a, co- a governing uh, majority of 218 uh, votes. And there will have to be Republicans because no Democrat is going to vote to substantially reduce non-defense spending. <laughs> No Democrat is going to vote to restrain uh, Biden's regulatory policies and regulatory overreaches. And so what I recommend, what I note in the in the uh, article is that this is hard work. It's it's the hard work of governing. They've got to sit down with all of their members, talk about what it is they want to do find out what they have to do to get the 218 votes. Um, now, I don't tell the story in the article, Larry, but it, it's a, I think it's a relevant story. Uh, when we were trying to pass the Reagan program, we were at a critical moment where the reconciliation bill that actually made the spending cuts and mandated the tax cuts Um, was coming to the floor, it was going to be a very, very close vote. You had a handful of Republicans who wouldn't vote for it because they didn't think it did enough. Um, And um, uh, so John Grove, uh, Democrat congressman of Louisiana, came to me and said, if Reagan will commit... to leave the sugar program alone. <laughs> I will vote with you on every vote, <laughs> and every Democrat in Louisiana will. So <laughs> anyway, I went to the White House, and I met with Reagan, and I told him the proposal, and he asked me what I thought. And so you got to realize, Larry, I'm three years out of college <laughs> classroom, okay? <laughs> So I started explaining to him how I didn't come here to save the sugar program. You know, the sugar program is the worst program in American government. One of them. We take food out of children's mouths. We steal from 360 million Americans to benefit a very small number of people with sugar protection. So anyway, when I'm telling him how strongly I feel about this, I get emotional. (laughs) (laughs) And so Reagan says to me, well, 
do can we win without their vote, and can we trust them if they give us their word? And so anyway, I said, well, they might end up, even if we don't commit to this, they might end up voting with us on final passage because there's going to be a lot of political pressure to be with you. But somewhere in the committee of the whole House on the State of the Union and one of dozens and dozens and dozens of amendments, we could end up losing our program if we lose their vote. And uh, he said, well, what do you think we should do? And, and, of course, I knew he had already decided what we had to do. And I said, well, Mr. President, we're, I, I hate the sugar program, but it's bad policy. And I'd be ashamed for my grandchildren to know that I helped save it. But it's not as important as America is. Mm. And our program is important to the whole country. And I'm confident, I know John Bro, and I believe, uh, which he gives us his word, as he did, that he'll live up to it. Well, we cut the deal. We both hated it. Uh, the Reagan program became law, and uh, we changed America. And as Bro was walking out of the house, and somebody in the media shouted out to him, you sold your vote. He said, no, I didn't sell my vote. I rented my vote. (laughs) But the point is, you know, this is hard, uh, dirty uh, in the sense of getting your hands dirty work, finding out what people have got to have in order to do what needs to be done to save our country and to stop this inflation and to rebuild the fence and to make the tax cuts permanent. But it's work that has got to be done. The alternative is just not acceptable. You remember Joe Wagner from Louisiana? Yes, Yes. he was part of that gang. By the way, he was he was terrific. He was a conservative, right wing Democrat, but he was part of that sugar cabal. From Bozier City. Louisiana was for it. And (laughs) I had beat sugar in West Texas, but I just told the guys, look, you know, there's some things I can do uh, to promote Texas interests, but that's just beyond my reach. (laughs) No way. I had to go Uh, down and speak to the, you're going to love the, the Bozier City Chamber of Commerce. That was part oh, of the wow. deal that you cut. I was the OMB in those days, right? I was De- Stockman's deputy at OMB. I had, to, I had to go down to Joe Wagner. Yes, <laughs> and I did it. I did it. I spoke well, to the Bozier, si- Bozier you know City Chamber of it. Commerce. <laughs> we, we did it. You know, I, I'm sure there's some of these people, I call them sort of uh, virtue signalers, and these are these people in there, some on the right, and there's some on the left, who want to show people they're more virtuous than anybody else, yes. okay? Yes. Uh, and, uh, you know, this is the kind of thing they would say, I would never do. But if we hadn't had those votes, when it came to the final vote on the Reagan program, the deciding vote was a guy named Sam Hall, who was a Democrat from 
East Texas. Mm -hmm. And uh, it mm -hmm. got down to the point there were about 10 people that were going to vote no if the program could be beaten, but if it was going to pass, they're going to vote no. Yes. So they're all standing there. Tip O'Neill runs down to Sam Hall and <laughs> says, Sam, uh, you know, this is an embarrassment to the House. Uh, this, if we've ever needed your vote, we need it now. And so uh, Sam Hall pulled out his card, walked up the machine, stuck it in, <laughs> and voted out. <laughs> and it was over. The, uh, uh, in fact, I don't know if you know the story. I, afterwards, I talked to Reagan on the phone. And so when when he picked up the phone, I said, oh, Captain, our captain, the fearful trip is done. <laughs> the ship has weathered every rack. The prize we sought is won. <laughs> the port is near. The bells I hear. The people are rejoicing. So it's worth it. That's Who wrote that? Point. Governing wrote is hard. Who wrote that? Um, uh, Frost. Ross said think, that. I think so. Uh, no, maybe. Let me see. You Hold know, on. sounds like Samuel Taylor Coleridge. Yeah, it could be. I I remember all these things from high school, but I don't remember <laughs> who wrote them. Um, but in any case, of course, given his background, he loved it. Of course, he did. I got to uh, listen. I got to take a good. break. I got to take a all break. Right. Hang on. I'm going to come right. back to you. I want to talk to you about. Uh, I want to talk to you about continuing resolution or not, and um, I want to talk to you about uh, what they should do here, what the GOP's got to stand for. So we're talking to the great Senator uh, Phil Graham, who believes Republicans have to have, they got to be critics, but they also have to have a positive message. And uh, as always, restraining spending is going to be the key. And uh, keeping those tax cuts, too, as well. Anyway, I'm Larry Kudlow. We'll be right back with Senator Phil Graham. Hang on a second, folks. Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. We're talking to uh, former Senator Phil Graham of Texas. His new book, The Myth of American Inequality, How Government Biases Policy Debate. His op-ed piece in the Wall Street Journal, The Republican House Can Restrain Spending, Even With 222 Votes. Uh, Phil... Uh, continuing resolution or omnibus spending bill? Which uh, do you prefer right now? Because there's big money at stake here, a couple of hundred billion dollars. Yeah, before we go to that, it's the poem was, Oh, Captain, My Captain by Walt Whitman. Oh, sure right. We get that right so right. people don't think we're a couple of ignoramuses. <laughs> um, no, look, if I was there, I would not pass an omnibus appropriation bill for the entire year. I would pass a try to pass a continuing resolution, a short term continuing resolution that would take us into, say, February or March. And then with the Republican majority in the House, uh, I would. Uh, try to rein in spending for the rest of 2023 uh, and start on 2024. But to do that, um, the Republican leadership has got to sit down with its members 
and begin putting together the 218 votes. Uh, They can't just uh, wish that they had 218 votes. They've got to sit down with each member, go through the the omnibus uh, appropriation that they'll be passing at that point, hopefully for the rest of 2023, and ask people, what do you want in it? What do you don't, what do you don't, what don't you want in it? What riders do you want? Uh, do you want to uh, end woke training in the military? Do you want to, um, uh, you know, what is it you want uh, that fits within our overall values that we can live with? or that puts together the program we've got to have to govern. And that's hard work, uh, but it's got to be done. And they've got to start on day one. But they need need a regular order. They need a, a budget resolution, right? They need 12 appropriation bills with hearings from experts, left and right, in other words, they got to go through, let the public see the policy debate and the debate about the proper spending levels. They need to have a discussion about workfare and work requirements, which is the key to your recent book. You follow? I mean, this is what the House Republicans no, must look, do. I agree with that. Yeah, I, I think, first of all, I think they've got to have a series of hearings to define their vision. Mm-hmm. Uh But I think it's highly unlikely, given the makeup of American government today, that they're going to be successful in passing a budget that passes both the House and the Senate. I just can't envision that happening. And I think it's going to be very hard to have regular order. It would be better to have regular order. We were able to pass a budget in the Reagan years because we had a Republican majority in the Senate, and we had a conservative majority in the House. Mm -hmm. Uh, But their task is going to be harder because it's them. They're the only sentry at the gate. And so what they've got to do is think in defensive terms. You know, we're not going to be able to govern America. Uh, We're not going to be able to dramatically change things. That has to come after another election. But what can we do with what with the troops we have here to fight the war? And the two things they can clearly, three things they can clearly do, they can stop tax increases. Mm -hmm. Because the Constitution says all money bills shall originate in the House. Mm -hmm. So they can kill any tax increase. Uh, And secondly, if they can put together 218 votes and and do things in reducing spending and in setting priorities that they can go before the public and defend. You could go to Bossier City. I could stand up in front of 1,500 people who came to my first town meeting when the Reagan program uh, was uh, put was proposed you know, shouting how I was going to, uh, people were going to go hungry and all this stuff. I could defend what we're doing because I knew what we were doing and I knew it was the right thing. And I was 
willing to defend it against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Uh, they've got to do all that. Work and requirements. Again, it's not easy. It's work, work requirements. Yeah, work requirements. That, we it, need that to has got the to Clinton, right? The Clinton welfare reform bill that applied to a little sliver of welfare aid to families and dependent children, most successful program in social reform of our era. And we've got to apply it to every means tested program. That ought to be a no brainer. And I think the Democrats that vote against it are going to have a hard time justifying yeah. that vote. And it'll and save it. Well, me. Yeah, it'll save a trillion dollars over 10 years, at least. Oh, yeah. At least. I'm well, telling and you. More than that, it will save millions of lives of people who get right. into the labor market and become part of a miracle that's the American economy. Right. Uh, it's a humane thing to do. Yeah. And also, uh, since we're both old guys, uh, it would be very easy for the government to make some simple changes that would encourage people to continue working instead of retiring. Yep. Yep. Uh, just yep. little things yeah, above the uh, average retirement age. You don't have to pay your share of Social Security above 70. Your employer doesn't have to pay it. Um uh, we could set up, we could eliminate the taxation on Social Security for people above 75. Mm. I mean, there are a lot of things we could do that would keep a lot of people that have a lot of skills that are bored to death out on some golf course somewhere <laughs> or following their wife around in Costco. <laughs> I got um, to go. Who they, Fess up. Who found Walt Whitman, you or Wendy Graham? Come on. Who found Walt no, Whitman? It was me. It was me. <laughs> you take care, dear Thank friend. Thank you, Phil Graham, the best of the best. Just fabulous, fabulous stuff. All right, kids, we're going to take a quick break. And then the other side of the break, my pal Kevin Hassett, former chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors. What is going on with this economy, huh? Somebody's got to tell me. What should we be doing about it? Phil Graham has some pretty darn good ideas. I'm Cudlow. We will be back. Please stick around. Much more coming here. From Wall Street to the White House, this is The Larry Kudlow Show. Italian heritage and the food that goes along with it. That's why on Sundays after church, I head over with my father to Italo's Fine Foods on Forest Avenue in Staten Island with our list from mom. They have two locations on Forest Avenue, 1566 and the new one at 725. It's family owned and serving Italian specialties since 2014. They also have a full catering menu, the freshest meats, imported San Martano tomatoes from Italy, and the best mozzarella. Order in store by phone or online. They even deliver. ItaloFineFoods.com I-T-A-L-O FineFoods.com Tell them Vinnie Madugno and WABC sent you. Manja.